We are in the book of James, as stated a moment ago. So most of you know this, but I grew up in, in Southern California. So just a, a side note, thank you for not holding that against me. I really do appreciate that. So I grew up in Southern California, and often our family, we, we went to Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags Magic Mountain. We didn't go to Disneyland very much, but we went to those other two very, very regularly. And I can remember when I was much younger, I didn't like roller coasters too much. I love them now, not so much anymore. My body doesn't like them too much. But I loved roller coasters much later in my life. But early on, I was afraid of them, and particularly those ones that had those loops around them. So I remember one day we were, we were sitting and standing in line for a ride. And I honestly, this was at Knott's Berry Farm. I was pretty young. We were standing in line for a long period of time. And no joke, I thought we were standing in line to the, ro- the log ride. I thought it was going to be the log ride. I was all excited about it. Next thing you know, you get to that front after you go through that little carousel thing where you're zipping back and forth. You get to the front, and I realize it was this roller coaster that's called Montezuma's Revenge. Okay? Now, Montezuma, that doesn't even sound very fun, does it? But I, I put a thing there. It's the yellow one. It's a little hard to see. It's a little fuzzy, but it's that yellow coaster. So what ends up happening is you sit in this thing, and it shoots you off. So you go through, and it goes right through a loop, and then it goes up, and it looks like you're going to fly right off. But then it just kind of stops, and then it backs up, and it does it this way. Super fast, super quick ride. So I'm terrified because I'm waiting this, all this time. I'm waiting for this darn roller coaster that I didn't even realize I was going on. I was not mentally prepared for that coaster. My mom, if she was with us right now, she would tell you I turned green. And it's probably accurate. So what's worrisome about that is obviously when we wait for something that we're excited about, it's a little bit easier. So fast forward just a few months, or uh, back up just a few months from today, took the family to Disneyland over the summer. So Elizabeth and I were sitting there, we're, we're waiting for a ride, and we knew what we were waiting for, so we were excited, and we waited for probably about an hour for one of the rides at California Adventure, and it was okay, because we knew exactly what we were getting into. And I think that's kind of true of our lives, too. When we don't know what's on the other side, it can be pretty frightening. When we don't know what's going to happen, it can be terrifying. And then our expectations are all over the place, our emotions are all over the place. But when we know what we're waiting for, and we know what that end result's going to be, it can be pretty exciting. And that wait, however long it might be, is much more bearable. And that's, I think, what we're going to see hopefully this morning as we tackle chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 of James's letter. What he's going to do is he's going to help us to kind of understand this idea of, of patiently waiting. This idea of patiently waiting. And that's the theme that we'll see throughout this passage. So over these past couple of weeks, you, you might recall, we've, we've kind of seen James co- kind of put out these condemnations almost. He goes against these, these arrogant people and these presumptuous individuals um, that were likely at least in the area of the church. Um, we, he goes after the, the rich who are oppressing the poor. He, so he's going after these individuals. So now what he's doing here, which is kind of nice, is he takes us back And now he addresses those who are being oppressed and those who were under a difficult period of time. Now, I'll concede that over the last couple of weeks, I've kind of looked at those two passages as, you know, maybe James wasn't speaking directly to these individuals. Maybe he's just addressing this cultural norm. But I think after my studies this week, I think it was pretty clear that 
while James, of course, wasn't writing to non-Christians, he was writing to the Jews here, the Jewish Christians, I think he was indirectly speaking to this group of people through his writing to the Jewish Christians here. So he was speaking to these folks, but probably in an indirect way. Uh, And he was addressing those oppressors. He was addressing those arrogant, presumptuous individuals. So that's what we see here, I think, in this letter, and particularly in this section here. So James, he shifts his attention to those who are being oppressed and saying, I'm hearing you, and God hears you, and this is how we're going to approach it. So follow along as we read this morning, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And he starts it this way in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke to the name, in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you have heard the stead, of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." This is a great passage. This is an incredibly encouraging passage. I've titled this sermon, Hang In There. So there's two reasons why. One, I think that's really in essence why James, and what James is trying to say, he's like, hang in there, guys. It's going to be okay. The second reason is because I wanted to use this meme. It's a good meme. Little kitty just hanging in there, right? So I really, I think that's literally what what James is saying. He's like, hang in there, Christians. It's going to be okay. And he's going to give us a little bit of reasons why. So this word patient that James is using several times in this this passage, it's literally long-suffering or or patiently waiting. And that's kind of why we're we're taking this thing here and this theme. Uh, There's a Greek scholar named Kenneth Wiest, and he he paraphrased verse 7 like this. He says it's it's to be long-suffering, patiently enduring the mistreatment of others, restraining your soul from the passion of anger, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That's how he paraphrases it from the Greek. So we see what they were waiting for and kind of how and why we should wait, and that's the coming of the Lord. In two short verses, he tells us that's the motivation of why we wait. We wait because we know that in the end, the Lord will return. In the end, the Lord will return. Why we know that? Because that's what the scriptures teach us. So after the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, there's two men in white robes, and they they address the disciples, and they say these words in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So I want to think that James is coming back, and he's recalling these words from from Luke, the writer of Acts. He's recalling these words and saying, okay, this is what we have to look forward to. He's reminding the oppressed that be patient as you're being oppressed. Be patient because as you wait and the Lord will return. And that's what he's talking about here. Just like we saw last week, if you recall, everything that we endure here on earth is temporary. It's a temporary place that we have to endure. So in effect, that's kind of our main idea for today. Our main idea is that the mature disciple patiently awaits or patiently waits because he knows that the Lord will return. 
He knows that the Lord will return. That's the confidence that we have in this world. So these Christians, they've already been identified, and as we've already spoken about all throughout this letter, they're going through tests. They're going through trials. They're going through temptations. And, and what we see is that they're also victims of partiality. They've been victims of prejudice. They've been, they've been oppressed. So this, these Christians have gone through a lot, and that's what we've seen here. So James acknowledges now in this section, he's like, I hear you, I see you. And I love you, brothers. Notice how many times in this passage he uses the term brothers to address, and that's an enduring term that he's using there. So James acknowledges these these Christians, and he acknowledges their suffering, and he takes this opportunity to address that. He takes the opportunity to address the arrogant and to address those, those oppressors. And he says, I want to encourage you now that I've addressed these boneheads. I want to encourage you now. So how does he do that? What he does is he helps us to understand how the Christian should respond to difficulty. He helps us to understand the Christian's response to difficulties. And he helps us to do this in a few ways. He does this with four commands. If you look at the, the, the text again, there's four commands that he gives us here. So we're going to identify those commands, then we'll identify some examples that he provides for us. And I'll tell you why that those examples are very important. First command we see here is, is as we've seen already, is to be patient. He says it twice there in verse 7 and 8, it's to be patient. And we've seen that already, that this patience and this idea of patience is, is wrapped in this idea of waiting, which again, it's a very difficult thing to wait. And this waiting is not just kind of sitting or standing in line and moving, you know, two inches every, every 10 minutes. This waiting is an active waiting thing. It's something that's not passive, but it's an active situation. So the Apostle Paul reminds us, and we see that when he speaks to the, the church in Thessalonica. Remember, he told them, he's like, hey, be like me and imitate me because I imitate Christ, which means go out there, share the gospel, serve God, love others. So he's saying in this time, do what's right as you wait for the Lord's return. You can't just sit and be idle. He, he warned them against idleness. And this language that James uses, it, it's almost an immediate thing. He's saying the, the judge is at the door. He said the Lord is returning. All that implies that, hey, he's coming back soon. Be ready always. I had a volleyball, couple of volleyball games yesterday, and we were telling the girls, always be ready for that ball to come back. We always have to be ready. It may not look like it's coming back, but it's going to come back, and you have to be ready. And if we're not ready, it's going to come right back at us, and it's not going to be a good result. So not only was there this imminent return coming that they had to look forward to, but James is making this emphasis, hey, it's coming soon. It's coming very soon. So twice we see that, like I stated a moment ago, twice we see that it's the coming of the Lord. That's the motivation that these Christians needed to look forward to, and that's the motivation for us too. And there's a secondary thing in there, mostly what we've seen the last couple of weeks, but there's also this, this judgment coming. We see that when, when he talks about the judge at the door. There's judgment coming to those oppressors. There's judgment coming to those sinners, those people who are, are, are wrecking havoc on these, these Christians. And that idea of the judge at the door, again, implies God is coming soon. Jesus will return soon. So obviously that hasn't even occurred even today. We're all still waiting too. And it had to have been very difficult for the Christians then because they, they assumed it was coming quickly. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still waiting too. But we also must live as if he's going to return now. 
we must live like he's going to return now. And that, that, that living is what James has been talking about, that living out of our faith, that living out our faith. And maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online today, and you have not placed your faith in Jesus. I, I urge you, you can't wait. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, as we've seen. Patience is not an easy virtue. Let's not kid ourselves. Patience is not an easy virtue to possess, and, and nor do we want to risk praying for it, because God actually might answer that prayer, wouldn't he? But I urge you that we should ask for patience from God. And I'll get to that in a moment. And, and just like I talked to the kids, we have this, this right now culture. We have this right now culture. Back in the day in church, you have people flipping through their Bibles. When you say, hey, let's go to Romans chapter 1. And everybody's flipping through and you hear that. Like nowadays, all you got to do is push a handful of buttons. And you're over there. It's much easier nowadays. But we have this, this, like, this right now mentality in our culture, and that what makes it very difficult for us to wait. And again, I think we should wait for, or pray for patience. Here's what I would urge you not to do. There's an example of a man who prayed for patience. He said, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. Let's not be that guy. Let's not be that guy, but I think we do need to pray for patience because it is a virtue that is very useful for each and every one of us. So I think Part of the lesson there is simple. The Christians, even today, we need to know and trust and believe that the Lord is returning because that understanding helps us when things are incredibly difficult. So James says, too, and he he further encourages us, and he says one of the ways that we need to patiently wait is we need to to do something, another action that he's taken, and that's, that's the next point there is that we need to establish our hearts. We need to establish our hearts, and that's part of that waiting process. NASB, NASB translation uses the term strengthen. So this idea of strengthening our hearts as we wait. Pastor Pat and I and the elders, we, we regularly encourage you to read the scriptures daily. And when we do that, one of the things we try to encourage you to do is not to read like a verse of the day, like you hear on Caleb or something, but we, we encourage you to read larger chunks of Scripture. And the reason we do that is because when we read larger chunks, we have a better idea of what's happening and what the context of that verse is. One great example would be Philippians 4.13. We all know that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wonderful verse. And, 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 and athletes love that verse. Athletes love that verse. It's in their social media bios, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can, I can make that game-winning shot. I can catch that game-winning touchdown. That's not what they're talking about, is it? If you really look at that section, Paul's not talking about those things. He's talking about how he, he, he's a tent maker and he works hard in order to, to make a living so he can eat and breathe and, and have lodging and he depends on the Lord to do that. He knows that he's going to get the support he needs, whether it be in his own hands or the hands of others in his support. So he's not talking about seizing the day. He's talking about God's going to provide for my needs. And that's the danger of, of pulling a single verse out. And that's why we encourage you to do that. And, and I say that because what James is doing here is he's recalling everything he's already spoken about. And think about it here too, right? So Pastor Pat and I, I think we've done 12 weeks, or we will do 12 weeks on this book. That's a lot for five chapters. If you think about when, when these, these Christians received this letter, somebody stood before the people and read it to them, the entire letter. 
So they're not pulling out 12 weeks of passages like we have been doing. So James here, when he gets to this point, he's like, hey, well, do you remember what we just talked about a couple minutes ago? Right, this idea of patient endurance, this idea of, of living out your faith and being doers of the word, this idea like you're going to face trials and tribulation and, and you're going to be tested in your faith. He's, he's drawing back to all of those things we've seen for these past 11 weeks. So when they're, when they're doing that, he's encouraging them to say, hey, remember what we've already talked about. Remember what we just talked about a few minutes ago when we talked about all of these things And he's trying to encourage them in that. He's saying, strengthen your hearts because you know that you're going to be tested. You know trials will happen. You know you will be tempted. And you know I will come and I will return. So that's the encouragement that we see. And James is pointing to all of these things when he says to establish your hearts, to strengthen your hearts. That's what he's pointing back to, the immediate context of what we see. And it's easier to complain than it is to wait. It's much easier to complain than it is to wait when things are not going our way. And that's really why he says in verse 9, do not grumble. Verse 9, he says, do not grumble with one another. Maybe you're like me, and when things are annoying or frustrating or things are just not going your way, you act out, I act out, and I make sure everybody else knows about it. I make sure everybody feels my frustration. I make sure everybody around me knows that, that Ryan's angry, right? Unfortunately, I don't do it because I'm, I want to be a jerk or I'm, I don't do it out of spite. I do it because that's just naturally the response that I have, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. It's that natural response is to grumble and complain about what's happening or what's not happening, But when that happens, others are affected by it too. And I think that's what James is getting at here. He's saying, look, you guys are are grumbling and complaining because things aren't happening in the way that they want or you want them to happen. So you're making sure everybody around you is feeling that same frustration. There's a sense here that they're blaming each other for what's happening around them. I'm being oppressed because of this. I'm being oppressed because of you. You did this. So that's, that's the impression that we have here. And I'm sure... None of us have done that, right? Yeah, me neither. I haven't done that either. So the, the James is reminding them here that the judge is at the door. So not only is he saying he's coming back soon, but he's also taking that role of judge in doing so. The judge is at the door. He wants them to understand that holding this grudge against somebody else, grumbling with one another, complaining to one another, it's not going to make the situation any better, is it? But he's saying what we need to do instead is trust that the Lord is going to handle it. We need to trust that the Lord will handle it. So James warns here that there is a judgment attached to grumbling. He's warning them of this sin. He's warning them of this issue that there is going to be a judge and judgment attached to it. And it implies a lack of dependence. And we've seen that all throughout this letter. There's a lack of dependence on the Lord. And the next thing that James commands here is do not swear. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem to fit. I remember we were sitting there on Monday. I'm like, how does this fit? What's happening here? But I think it's interesting because, uh, it, again, it doesn't seem to be connected to 7 through 11. doesn't seem to be connected to the passage we'll look at next week. But when you really look at this letter from a holistic point and you look at the culture that we see here, 
there's a sense there, and what we've seen is there's a, there's a sense of, of, of the people being very impatient. Again, we see this idea that they're complaining. So what we see is we can make this connection because they're generally behaving poorly, right? James is addressing this poor behavior, this general behavior of these Christians. So I think when he's talking about this idea of swearing and not taking oaths, that's what we see here. And, and again, for us today, one of the things we've talked about, we don't do that often in our culture today. But then, during James's time, that was a very common thing to do. They make oaths, and they make these, these oaths with one another. It implies that there are, this idea here, what James is addressing, implies that they were making deals with each other. They were making empty promises with each other. They were trying to make a deal with God to get through some of these situations. That's what we see here. And, and not only were they making empty promises, but they were using the name of the Lord in doing so. And it's, it comes back to a reputation-type situation. It, it, tr- it comes back to this reputation as a Christian, your yes and your no should be enough. I shouldn't have to say, I promise, or I'll, I, I, I'll, I'll guarantee it, or I'm not lying, or, or all these things. It, it's implying those things. The late theologian and writer and minister Eugene Patterson, he paraphrased it like this in this same verse. He says, and since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Do not add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Do not show impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language cannot be used against you. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And really, it comes back to reputation. If you say yes, does your reputation allow for somebody on the receiving end of that yes to trust that you will do what you say you're going to do? When you say no, does your reputation allow that no to be no? So what James does next is he gives us these examples of patient waiting. And I, and I told you a moment ago that I'll tell you why I think these are really important. Because what James is doing is he's bringing them back to reality. He's saying, look, I'm not asking you to do something that's really difficult to do. This is done now, and it has been done in the past. People have shown that we can patiently wait for the Lord. So he gives us three examples. The first one is the waiting farmer back in verse 7. Now, this one was real-life example. More than, more than likely, most of these folks were farmers, or they worked on the farm. If they weren't... If they didn't have the, the resources or the, the wealth enough to have land, they probably worked on land in order to provide for their families. So when he's talking about the farmer, it's a very common occupation in those times. So this example, too, according to commentator James Admonson, he says it's a familiar picture of salvation for the Jewish people. So when they heard this example of the farmer, it was a very well-known, and it was a connection that they could immediately make to this idea of salvation. And this illustration from James speaks about this idea of this much-needed rain in order for these crops to grow and flourish. And this sunshine that God provides for this, these, uh, these, these things to, to flourish. So the farmer, he can prepare the soil. The farmer can plant the seeds. The farmer can make sure that the, the ground is, is you know, uh, free of any weeds. But the farmer can't provide the rain or the sunshine, can he? He says, we need the farmer knows that he needs to wait for God to provide to allow these things to flourish and to grow. So James is immediately using that as an example. So he's like, you too must wait patiently. 
you too should wait patiently. The next, uh, next example he, he tells us in verse 10 is, is the example of the suffering and patience of the prophets. The suffering and patience of the prophets. And there's so many examples. I'll just use one, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an incredible example of a patient prophet. Jeremiah, uh, back in chapter 20 of, his, of the book, he was put in the stocks. Back in chapter 28, he was lowered into a dungeon. Back in chapter 32, he was thrown into prison. He was nicknamed the weeping prophet. What a fantastic nickname that would be. The weeping prophet. It is believed that he had no converts in his ministry. No one turned to the Lord in his ministry. But he never quit. He continued to pursue and to share God's word. He never quit. And of course, he's not alone. There's so many other examples. But just Jeremiah alone can help us to understand that, hey, don't stop. Don't stop doing what you're doing. The next example is the steadfastness of Job. First time I read Job, I called him Job. Job's story is almost unbelievable. If you really look at it, it's almost unbelievable. He was a, a, an upright man. He was called righteous. He had all of the wealth that you can imagine. He, was, he feared God. He was a man of great stature. He had a big family, which was a blessing. He was a man of obedience. He was a religious man. Job was, Job was a great dude. He, but here comes Satan, and he says, Job is only committed to you, God, because he's got it all. He's got it all together. That's the reason why he's committed to you. You take something away from him, he's going he's gonna to turn on you. And of course, we don't have time to go through the entire story, but the rest of the story in short is what happened. Job lost everything. Job lost everything, including his health. Scraping off boils from his skin with a rock. Horrible, horrible circumstances. His, his ten kids died. Everything. His wife even urged him to curse God and die. Mrs. Job is not the example of a wife. He, she and his so-called friends, they came along, and what did they do? They tore him down. They didn't build him up. They accused him of hiding sin in his life, and that's why everything around him was crumbling. They weren't encouraging him. They didn't love him. They were horrible friends. All along, we see and we read that Job was faithful. All along, we see Job was faithful. In the final chapters of Job, it records more than 70 questions from God to Job, all of which to point back and to remind Job that he needs to understand that God's ways are higher than man's ways. God's ways are higher than man's ways, and only he is worthy of that great trust. Only he is worthy of that great trust in him, even in those times where they are most difficult. And again, if you ever go back and you read the book of Job, he had a tough time. And in chapter 42, verse 5, Job confesses these words to the Lord. He says this, I had heard you of the, pardon me, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What he's saying there is, I knew about you, I even worshipped you, but now I know you. Now I've seen you. Now I know you. And his eyes were opened in those darkest of times. And, then the, and in the end of that story, 
he, he gets everything back. He's restored. And God blessed him. And we see that he experienced the Lord's compassion and mercy, even though he went through so much. So James is saying that God, guys, even Job experienced great pain and great suffering and great, great, horrible things. But even he endured and he was steadfast. So we had to do the same. So we've seen this morning that the mature disciple patiently waits because he knows the Lord will return. So real quickly, I want to go through three quick things that we can do to wait today for God's coming and for the Lord's return. First thing is we need to be active. We talked about this already. We need to be active. It's an active, active thing that we need to do when we wait. First thing we do is we can be active in our churches. We can be active in our communities. We can be active in volunteer work. We can be active in serving one another. And as I look around this room, there's so many of you who do that and do that faithfully every single day. And if James has has taught us anything else in this letter, it's that, that our faith is an active faith. It's an active faith. And these two next points, real quickly again, these next two points is really an example of how we can do that. And one of them is to pray. First thing we do, we need to pray. There's a lot of things we can pray for while we wait. One of those things, we can pray for him to return. Lord, return. Right? Another thing we can do, especially in our, our period of, of, our, of our, our lives right now, you know, midterm elections coming up next week and all those things and how much of those going to affect the, the outcome of our country, pray for your country. Pray for the spiritual healing of your country. As we all know, we need it. Pray for our missionaries who are out there and they're reaching these unreached groups. Pray for those folks who are out there serving the Lord with their feet. Pray for the salvation of those who don't know the Lord. Pray for boldness. Because the next one here is to share. And if you have shared the word of God with anybody before, you know it requires boldness. It requires boldness. And if you think about it, looking back at the example of the prophets, isn't that kind of one of those examples we can get from them too? We can get those examples from them. Despite the rejection and persecution and, and, and the Jews being put into exile and, and imprisonment and in for some cases even death for them and our apostles, we, can, we see that they never stopped sharing the gospel because they had love for those who were lost. So the same should be true of us. And sometimes we're going to share we're going to share that faith with people, and they're not going to accept the Lord. They're going to reject him. But that doesn't mean we stop. We have to continue going. And the reason for that is because the gospel is available to all people. And as long as the God gives us breath and the ability, then we need to continue to share as long as we can. And again, we, we, have, to, we have to confess that it's easy to do these things when things are going really well. But when things are really difficult, it's much harder to serve others. It's much harder to share the gospel with others. It's much di- more difficult to even pray or read his word when things aren't going well. And that's why James is saying, again, we need to be encouraged because guess what? The Lord is returning. The Lord's going to pull you out of this. You may have heard this before, but for non-Christians, for those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus, this is the best This world's the best it's going to be for them. This is the best it's going to be for them. But for those who follow Jesus, who have placed their faith in Jesus, this is the worst it's going to be for them. 
And I love my life. I get to, to do this for a living. I have an incredible family. I have great friends. But this is the worst it's going to be because the alternative is eternity with our Lord. And the alternative is, is to be in his presence for eternity. That's the alternative. That, so, so maybe today, again, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus today. And I, I urge you again to understand that this is the day that you have to make that commitment. There is no other time. There may not be another time to do that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that you have hope. That hope lies in the fact that Jesus will return for you. He will return and gather his saints. And, and when we're there, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more tears. And that's what we get to look forward to. Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he quotes Isaiah here, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And, Jane, and, and Paul here even reminds us of that. But we can't even begin to imagine, but what we do know is it's going to be amazing. And he has prepared a place for us if you have placed your trust in Jesus as Savior. But that's what we have to look forward to. So maybe today, again, just, just as this title says, hang in there, Christians. Hang in there. This is one stop along our journey. Jesus will return for you. So hang in there. Let's pray. Father, you know exactly what's going on in each and every heart that's in this room, each and every heart that's watching online, and, and each heart that will potentially see this at another time. You know what they needed to hear from this sermon. You know what they needed to hear from this passage. And may it be a blessing to those who heard it. May your word carry a, a profound truth in the lives of each and every person. Help us to, to have comfort in knowing that, that if we have placed our, light, our, our trust in you and your son Jesus as Savior, that God, you're going to return Jesus will return for us, and, and, and that's what we have to look forward to, and that's why we can have comfort and even in the most darkest times in our lives. And I know there are several who are dealing with that right now. So I pray for their hearts, God. I pray for anybody who may be listening who has not placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior. And I pray, God, that you just move their hearts and that they make a commitment to follow you. And I pray, God, that you, you do and you work in a miraculous and incredible way that that even is even difficult for us to comprehend god you are good you are amazing and we love you and we thank you god for for your son jesus and we pray god that that once again as we leave here this morning as we go about our days that we just remember some of these things that our faith is active and we need to be out there actively pursuing people for you so help us to do that help us to move forward in a way that's that's productive and active we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.